I had tried healing myself before because I've always been able to heal myself, but my my frequency was very low. You know, it went from and just in the basement. I mean, very negative. I became very negative um, as a result of that, and almost kind of bitter, and trying to claw myself back up out of that. But recently, I had a really interesting experience recently um, where I, I go to a clinic. The doctor there is uh, kind of an alternative type doctor. He wanted to reset my brain. And I said, well, I don't think my brain needs resetting. And I'm kind of protective of it because it's been damaged so much from the poisons and, and from all the implants and everything and me going in and out of different frequencies. And he said, well, that's why I think it needs to be reset. And I trusted him and I do still trust him. But he, so he said, okay. So I said, oh, I said, okay. And I, I guess what it involved is giving me an anesthesia. I can't think of the name of it. It starts with a K, I think. And I researched it and it seemed like it was okay, pretty safe. And I love anesthesia. I love when I have had surgery and you, they put you under. I love going under anesthesia, going into the blackness like that. So I thought, well, okay. They said, everybody, most people who do it, they just they have a wonderful experience. They go under and then when they come awake, they, they feel just more positive and uplifted and their brain is like, it's a reset. And I said, Sounds good. So I went in to have that done. This is only about a month ago. Went in, didn't think too much of it. They put the IV in and she's like, count backwards or, you know, and you go under. And I was expecting to just go into blackness. Well, I woke up in this tube, tunnel, and I'm falling through this tunnel and I'm screaming. The tunnel has geometric shapes on it and, and figures on it. And it's, and I'm aware that it feels like someone is coming after me. They're coming, they're wanting to take my soul is what it felt like. And I was panicked about that. And I thought I'm in this tube and I'm, I can't get away. I'm just free falling through it. And I was, kind of screaming like, and then I got myself under control. And I was like, where are you, Sherry? Where are you? Where are you? And I was like, where are you? And then I started thinking, you know, I'm with the creator. I'm just thinking about the creator. And I was thinking, no one can do this to you. They can't take your soul. Um, and I just, and then I remembered the anesthesia I'd been put under. I'm like, find yourself back, you know, find your way back to your body. Go back to your body, go back to your body. And I kept thinking that, just go back to your body. And pretty soon, wish that I was back in my body. And I was like, okay, you're in a room. You know, Jim is there with me. I, made, I wanted him to stay in the room with me. So I knew he would be there. And I just needed to open my eyes. Just open your eyes. Well, I started to come to, and I heard this woman talking in this language that was the most beautiful language. And I could, I knew that I knew the language, but I couldn't quite, I mean, it was half, it's like, that's, I know that language. But then again, I couldn't make sense of it. I was listening to it. It was really pretty language in it. And I was coming to more and more. And I opened my eyes and I can see Jim. Only there's like eight of them because it's all blurry. And I'm still just really out of it. And I'm hearing that woman talking. And then I realize that it's me. I'm talking in this language. And I'm listening to myself talk. And then she switched, she switches to English and she she has a really thick accent and she goes, you no can do this to her. You no can do this to her. 
this will kill her. This will kill her. She, she not human. She not like you. And so apparently before I woke up, Jim told me that this woman had come through and she'd been talking. Then she yelled for the nurse and she said, get this out of her, get this out of her. Stop it. Stop it now. Stop it now. You're killing her. And, um, and I came to then and they had taken the IV out and she continued on her rant and she kept saying, she's not like you. Don't you understand? She's not like you. She's not human. She, you can't do this to her. She's not like you. And then she started talking. She goes, you know, she came here to help. Um, she thinks she's invincible, but she's not invincible. And um, she took she took on this mission. She's here on a mission. Anyway, she went on in that theme for a long time. It was pretty interesting to hear. And then she'd switch back into that other language. It was fascinating. Scared the crap out of Jim. Just scared the crap out of him. It was interesting because he said afterwards, he said, not that I ever doubted your story, Sherry, because I've seen enough. You know, I know everything. It's, I know it's all true. But he said that really drove home the point that you are not human. He said, I've been telling you, you're not a human. Quit trying to pretend to be one. <laughs> I'm not good at it. But um, so that happened. And um, Sherry, can I, can I ask ever you a question? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I just want to, um, <laughs> as Grant was just saying, this is so riveting. I just, I'm just like the entire time listening to you. Um, so uh, I'm just going to try to think of my question clearly. When you're having this experience, you're coming back out of the anesthesia and you've made this, you know, really concerted effort to put yourself back in your body. Um, and then you're hearing yourself speaking what sounds like light language and there's a the voice of this other woman who is trying to fend off some other force that's there yes. trying to yes. do something to you that you don't want to have done and she's trying to protect you. Was this woman actually in the room? Was this a physical being in the room or was this just an auditory experience of this of hearing this language? What was the like were you in the were you in the hospital room? Is that what was happening? I was, I was in a room in the clinic and Jim was in the corner of the room and the nurse um, had come in and take the IV out. And then when I came to and I woke up, Jim called for the nurse again um, to come in, who was, she's a real sweetheart, but she was shaken up by this for sure. And she came in and she conversed with the woman, her name was Maria and she was in me. And I was in my body behind I was behind a wall, a barrier, like a plexiglass barrier, because I could see out, and and but I could be, I was aware of this woman, and so like when when um, the nurse asked who who is it that I'm talking to, because she was talking to her, the nurse, she was saying, you know, she's not, she's not like you, she's not like you, she's not human, you can't do this to her, and she was saying like that, and um and so the nurse, bless her heart, she stayed calm, and she goes. Well, can I ask? Uh, yes, yes, we understand Sherry is, is special or something. She said something like that. And, um, and she goes, well, can I ask, who, who am I talking to? And I, I heard the woman's thoughts. She started to say her name, and then she decided it was too long. And then I heard, then I knew that her name meant river of life. And then she said, just call me Maria. She said it translates into Maria. So that's the Maria episode. So she's, she said, we protect her. She said, we protect her, we keep her safe. He said, and you, you know, you didn't mean, she, said, she looked at the nurse and she said, you have a good heart. You have a very good heart. You didn't mean to hurt her. You didn't mean to do this. You don't know. 
but you understand she's she you can't do this kind of thing to her she's different and um so by this kind so of, i know this kind of thing um mm -hmm. did she mean putting you under anesthesia so that you had such a distressing experience is that what she was referencing that the nurse shouldn't be doing to you i guess that messing messing with my brain i think maybe i'm not even i'm not even really sure i guess a reset of my brain wasn't going to work i tell you what happened um i mean she was there for about 40 minutes you know she kept me back she said that i needed to rest that i'd come out when when they said it was okay because they want to know where's sherry and they said she's resting just let she just she needs some time and we're, we're taking care of her and so I was aware of all that and I was happy to have the rest. You know, I felt protected. This Maria was very, very strong person or very strong soul. She, she, you don't want to mess with her. I, I knew that. That night after I left, we left the clinic later on then and came home that night when I was in bed, I had just gotten into bed and I hadn't fallen asleep yet when bright light which I get all the time. And uh, through my eyelids, I saw a bright light and I, it happens so much, I don't always even open my eyes, but this was really, really bright. So I opened my eyes and I sat up in bed and I have a sitting room off of my bedroom and Don came into that sitting room, which is where they come in. If they don't come into the dining room here, when Da comes, he comes into that sitting room in my bed, off my bedroom. And I usually get up out of bed and go over there and sit with him and talk to him. So I sit up in bed and I look and down comes uh, this machine is a strange machine. It had four or five rows of lights. It wasn't very big. It was probably four, what is that? Not even, probably three feet at most wide and probably five to six feet tall. I, I don't know, it was oblong. It was not, and it had four rows of lights four lights in four rows or maybe five rows and they were bright bright white really brilliant white so it was just and they were blinking as it came down the machine was coming down through the ceiling and it was blue blinking blinking and i washed it and i sat up in bed and i said welcome whoever you are welcome and then i said are you here to take me home and when it landed the lights turned to bright red and then I fell asleep. I was gonna get out of bed and go see, it, it didn't look like a ship, it looked like a machine. But I still figured, you know, they come in different sizes, you know, the ETs can be teeny tiny. And I thought, well, I'm gonna go over and see who it is. And I was gonna get, get out of bed and go there because I really kind of, for some reason, I don't know why, but I thought they were gonna take me home. I always think that, you know, when I see a ship, I always, I'm always like, you're here to take me home, right? Um, so, but before I could, I fell asleep. Well, the next morning I woke up and I remembered that it had happened. And I had been told that what they did is they came in and they reset my brain, they reset my brain. They reset my brain. And when they did it, I have now been able to meditate. I could not, before that, the damage from the poison, I could not focus. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't read a book because I couldn't focus long enough. I, I tried to read an article. I mean, anything, you, you don't have the, my brain was, wrecked i can now meditate so now i'm that's a long way around and that's why i'm telling the story because before that i couldn't do any self-healing and i was a, i was i think a pretty powerful healer before 
and I have the I have the ability to I've always had the ability to heal. I believe I still might have that now since they've done this reset on me. So Dr. Joe Dispenza, his name kept showing up in my life. And so I looked at a video of him because I knew I was supposed to. And in the video he had, they interviewed him and he talked about these tall eight foot beings who come in and heal at his seminars. And I was like, I have to get to one of his seminars. And they interviewed some people who had been there who had had these healings. And, you know, one of them was, um, I mean, they, they all deserved a healing. One was a woman who had um, a sore knee. So I don't know, maybe arthritis in her knee or something. Anyway, she talked about how her knee got healed there um, by these tall beings. And now she could go hiking again and walking and stuff. Well, I went to bed that night after watching that video and I must have been pissed about it. <laughs> I didn't know it even because I went to bed and I laid down and then I just, all of a sudden I just sat up. I felt somebody in the room with me and I didn't, I didn't even question it. I knew there was somebody there. Actually there were two and I sat up in bed and I must have sensed and known who they were because I, I just went on a rampage and I said, so you, you can go in. I said, it's great that you healed the lady with the sore knee. That's great. You know, she deserves to be healed. But, you know, how about some of us over here who are, you know, got cancer or, you know, brain damage from being poisoned? You know, some of us who are really, like, suffering, like, not that, she, you know, there's no degree to it, I know. But, you know, how about some of us who are really, really, really suffering every day, you know, a new kind of agony and suffering? And I said, you know, maybe you could, if you're going to come in to heal, maybe you could check to see if there's maybe some people who, you know, really, really could use some healing like me. You know, and I just, I was mad, you know, and I just let off on them. I get an email. I don't find it. It goes into my junk file, so it takes me three days to find it, but it was written the next day. Get an email from a guy in California who says, and I've gotten these before, but this one was a little bit different. And he said, um, I want to heal you. And he said, I was told to. And I read his email and it's just like one long sentence and it's just as sweet as can be. And um, he wants to talk to me. And so I call him, I, I send him a message. And I said, yeah, let's talk. And so he calls me and we talk and he's a fantastic guy. He's, um, he had started having experiences three years ago. Actually, I think I can say his name. I think I can, maybe I better not, but I, I don't, he's, he's made videos. He's out there. Chris, Chris, well, Chris yeah, you, yeah, Grant. His name is yeah, that's, that's why think, yeah Christopher yeah so Christopher got a hold of me and I and he, he said he's working with the same angels as Joe Dispenza because I told him I said I'm I just started doing the Joe Dispenza online class and I said I think that's gonna be my ticket to getting because I said he he his philosophy on healing is the same as what I was what I know to be true you'd have to get your frequency high enough that's why I could never heal myself your frequency has to be very high and your intention has to be clear. And that's what Dr. Dispenza does. And so his meditations assist me in that. And so I love his meditations. Well, Christopher says, I'm working with the same angels that Dr. Joe is working with. And I'm like, so they were like here the other night when I went off on them. And he said, yeah. And they told me to get a hold of you and said, you're ready to be healed. He said, as a matter of fact, you already have been healed. You just have to accept it. So, can I ask a question? Did did, did did you know Chris before, or did this come out of the blue? Did you yeah, know Chris the blue? Before? He no, never knew him before. He emailed me, and two weeks later, I was on a plane to go out to meet him. 
I just, it resonated so strongly with me. And um, it's true that um, I, since, since I've started on this journey, and it's only been, I mean, I was in LA like two or three weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe with him and meeting with my producer. I had to go out, I was supposed to go out to meet with my producers anyway, which I wasn't going to do because I was too sick to go. But because Christopher was there, I decided to, to make the trip. And um, since that has happened, I have come awake three times now in the middle of the night, totally healed, totally healed. I jump out of bed. I run around my house. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, but it doesn't last, it doesn't last till morning. The first time it happened, they told me this is to let you know that it's possible because you don't, you think that you're too sick. It doesn't matter how sick you are, which I know that, but they're like, this is to show you that yes, you can be healed. Believe it, believe it. The second time it happened, they said it was because I've been working on it and I just made it happen, but it wasn't going to, it wasn't still not going to stick. The third time it happened was even more interesting. It, it was more of a, a quiz. I had somebody show up, they were asking me questions and basically what they were saying is you stay in the frequency of love and you can't be sick. And I said, I know that. And they're like, well, you know, then they quizzed me, you know, how do you feel about, actually it was, it was my daughters, you know, how do you feel, you know, because you believe that they have hurt you so badly and, and, but I'm like, but I, you know, I love them unconditionally and they're like, don't, don't forget that. Stay in the frequency of love because anytime that you're not in that frequency, your frequency is going lower and that's where the sickness is. So it's been a journey. So I feel like it's going to happen, but I, I want to go to see Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's going to be in Cancun in June and I'm going to try to get into that workshop and go. Cause I think if I go, I think that's where the magic will happen. So, so that brings me up to current. So now I can yield the floor and stop talking. <laughs> Can you, I'll just ask the last question, or there's two questions I want to ask you. Can you tell me the moment when Da says about the promise, when he talks to you about the promise, the forgotten promise? And the other thing, can yeah. you go into the, the production that's, that's unfolding now in, in California? Get a little bit into the, what, what may be happening in California with the, with the film. Okay. Okay, the thing about Da with the forgotten promise. Um, yeah. Hmm. Are you referring to a certain story? Because um, basically, he just he, didn't he say at one point, "You did? Did you not make a promise, or have you forgotten the promise?" Oh, you made? oh yeah, yeah, duh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, it's right at the end of my book when my um, on Mother's Day, that Mother's Day before the book came out, and I told my my oldest daughter had quit talking to me already, and my youngest daughter and I were at odds a little bit. And we spent Mother's Day together though hiking. And this is before I got real sick. It was right before the book came out. And I warned, I felt I needed to tell her the book was coming out. And so I did. And she got furious at me, just furious. And said, if that book comes out, I will never speak to you again, ever, ever. She said, you know, you've already lost your old, you know, Amy and you're gonna lose me too. So I came home and I told Jim, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to let the book get published. I said, and he said, you're going to let her control you. And I said, yeah, I don't care. I said, that's my daughter. And I, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do it. I said, I can't bear to lose her too. And um, I said, I'm sure that Dolores will understand. She's a mother. She'll understand. And I said, I'm just I'm going to pull the plug on it. It was, they were, it was going to press like right then. And um, that night, 
Da came into the sitting room and I went over there to talk to him. And he said, I understand that you're not going to allow the book to be published. And I said, that's right. And he said, why is that? And I said, because of, I don't want to lose Tara. You know, I don't want to lose her. She's going to not talk to me again. And he said, you can't acquiesce to her demands. And I said, I'm going to. And he said, you can't. And he showed me. He said, he actually showed me how it would play out one way if I did, you know, the other way if I didn't. And then he said, you know, Sherry, you took a vow. Have you forgotten the promise you made before you came here? And you, you promised this, you know, you were going to do this mission. And so I went ahead and I, and I let the book be published. And it's, it's been pretty awful <laughs> with, as far as my children are concerned. They, you know, we, it isn't that they don't know it's not true. They know it's true. They lived through it. They lived with me. Anybody who's close to me knows what happens in my life. You can't not know about it. Um, unless it's during a period of quiet, of non-activity. But, you know, like Jim, that's why they had to initiate him into it because it's so, there's so much going on in my life. Um, so it isn't that they don't know that it's true. It's that they're embarrassed by it. They, they, we all had made a pact way back in the day um, that we wouldn't talk about it. And I was the one who initiated that. I said, just, I said, just, because they want to know what should they do. People are asking them and their friends are asking them and, and their friends are seeing some of their, their friends are at the house with stuff happening. And I said, just don't talk about it. I said, don't ever lie about it, but don't talk about it. And then so, the movie, can you, can you go into the movie thing with the, I think you told me the story once that, that Da shows you a screen in the car when you're trying to drive, when, when he initiates yeah, the, yeah. the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, because it had gotten it fallen between the cracks. The the book got got um, optioned within a well, a few months or so of it coming out. It didn't take very long, and this um, lovely couple from California um, optioned the book to be made into a movie. But she got involved in another project, and so it just sat there for a long time. And one day, I think Dot he wanted to remind me of it, and so. Um, I was driving down the road, just down the street here, down my, from my house, on a little country road, no traffic there, which is good because up pops a screen in front of my eyes as I'm driving along. And he, show, he shows me the beginning of the movie, but I didn't know that's what it was. It just showed up and, I'm, and I, before I could say, hey, what's going on? I'm immersed in it because it's so beautiful what he showed me. It was, um, it captured, your attention totally because you heard tinkling like what you thought were the I thought it was tinkling um, glass chimes were tinkling and I was like what is that that's so pretty and then I saw shadows moving like sh- light grays to darks to white it was just really pretty shadows and I'm like so I was totally immersed and I totally forgot I was driving a car and I must have stopped the car I don't even know but I was busy watching that screen and listening because I was like is that chimes or what is that? And it all came into focus at, together, you know, both visually and with the sound all at the same time. And I realized I was looking through the leaves of a tree as it came into focus. And there was a little girl and she was talking to the tree and she was hugging the tree and she was talking to it and giggling and laughing. And that was what I thought were the chimes. And I was like, oh, and then I recognized it was me in the tree, which I used to sit, I had favorite trees and I had this one really favorite tree that I would sit in and I would tell my secrets to and talk to. 
I loved, lo I still love, love trees. And, um, and he showed that to me and then he, it, it, he closed it off and I said, wow. I said, that was really cool. I said, I really liked that. I said, what, what was that? And he goes, that my dear is the beginning of your movie. He said, remember your movie? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you need to get that movie made. And I was like, I can't do anything about it. You know, but I, I did reach out to them and ask what was going on. So what they did is um, to raise interest in getting a movie and to raise money, um, she filmed a documentary to begin with. And she spent a few weeks here with me filming a documentary, which she's got. But immediately after she left to go back to California from filming the documentary, um, another movie producer, film producer, um, sent an email to me and she's got, I would think it's correct to say and not a slam to, to the other one to say that, um, you know, she has, she has more connections and as, is, um, had the wherewithal to be able to make the movie happen. So she, um, owns the rights to my life story now and they're working together, which I'm thrilled with that, that the two of them are working together because they're wonderful people two really wonderful women who are committed to making sure that the the story gets told accurately and that the 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 true message gets told which is that you cannot be a victim and that human beings have got to stop acting like victims and understand that how powerful they are that's my message right there it isn't about what the ets look like or where they're from or any of that stuff it's the message to humanity of how powerful they are, they have forgotten that. And so they get that and they know that. And so she's, they started out, they were gonna do a movie. Now it's progressed into a six part mini series that they're going to pitch to Netflix or HBO or Prime or whoever. And we've got a studio now that they're in negotiations with that looks, we're hoping that they get involved because they're really also on board with making sure that it is not, the story does not get sensationalized. And I said, you don't have to sensationalize it. People are not gonna believe it anyway. There's no way people are gonna believe this is true. What I have, my life, what my life has been is don't need to, don't need to add anything to it. As a matter of fact, take away a little bit so it's a little more believable. So it's looking good, but it's so slow moving. I keep telling them, you know, I'm hanging on, I'm staying here. Live, you know, staying on this planet for you. I'm getting older and older and sicker and sicker. But that's why I believe it's time for me to be healed because they, I, I do get the message that I am meant to promote this and make it happen. And so. Sherry, from what I understand, there's, um, uh, you know, while people are waiting for this movie or miniseries to come out, um, I believe you said it's a six-part miniseries, uh, uh, an hour each to tell your story. I understand that there's a documentary called Becoming Galactic that's about your life also. And if people right, right. do that, I'm sorry. That's right. It's not been released yet. She's she's put it on the shelf while she works on the move on the film. Uh, okay, so that, that mm -hmm. has not been uh, released yet. Because my next question was if people want to be able to watch the documentary uh, to hear more about your story while they're waiting for the miniseries to come out, where could they find it? So why is it on the shelf? What's happening with that? Because uh, uh, Rochelle is the name of the lady who filmed the, who had the first uh, option on doing the movie and she did the documentary. She was going to release that to raise interest in, in, in making a movie. But Martha, 
Martha Fiennes is the one who, from London. Um, she's the one who's come on the scene now, and they're working together, Michelle and Martha, to make the six-part series, which they say it'll, they, they believe it'll be a, uh, at least one, one season, hopefully two or three seasons. Um, whoever picks it up will go, it should run, there's enough material to go at least three seasons um, of six parts each, so 18, 18 sessions. So yeah, she hasn't, she needs to finish up the documentary. She just dropped it. She put it on the shelf. It's not complete yet. She needed to come back and, and um, do a little more filming, she said, and then just put it all together. And she just stopped it and went to work with Martha on the film. And they've been in meetings and, and meeting with people and getting things arranged. It's a very slow process, but I think once it gets to a certain time, I mean, she's writing something she calls the Bible right now, which is what she uses to promote it to the different um, networks or something. I don't know. I don't know. There's a process and they're into it. They're, at least it's going somewhere. It's not just sitting and not moving. It's actually being worked on. Okay. So. Well, I'm glad to know that because it gives us um, a lot to look forward to. So we can see, like not, not only read and hear about your story, but also actually see it represented on screen, which can be such a powerful way of uh, really communicating a person's experience. And I'm just thinking to myself right now, um, you know, Grant and I have our mics mute, uh, muted, sorry, while you're speaking. But um, I could see on his face and mine, we've got a little panel here on the side of our screens where we can all see each other, um, that there is, you know, I, I personally have had such a roller coaster of an experience just listening to you telling your story, you know, going from uh, laughing my head off and Grant was also laughing you know you have such a terrific sense of humor and you're giving all these beings such a such a hard time really like yeah. do I really have to go through this uh, you know why why is it so difficult for me I just love that I love that I'm um, you know at the same time it, it's a story of suffering of, of perseverance of, um, of a great deal of strength of confusion of a search for clarity of you know dedication and love to your family it's i I've gone from just being moved to, to laughing, to feeling overwhelmed, to, I mean, it's extraordinary. It's a really, really extraordinary story. So if I'm having that experience of being on a roller coaster, for you, it must be like the roller coaster and the Ferris wheel and the merry-go-round and the water slide and, you know, <laughs> everything. Oh, wow. I just can't imagine what this has been like for you. And I have a question um, uh, related to this. If we go all the way back to um your your origin story essentially you know you were saying that it was 1987 when this really started for you when this big ufo flap mm -hmm. happened in wisconsin where you were living and um and here we are 33 years later and you're very, in a very different position so I, I was thinking you know prior to 1987 when you started to think about all of this and then two years later had to regression and realized started to realize with a lot of resistance obviously that this was real and this had really occurred to you and that it didn't just actually start in 1987 it really started much it started from the time of your birth it started in your previous life um as you were going through your life here in a human body on earth prior to 1987 what was your experience of life like i mean did you feel so-called normal did you feel like you fit in as a human on earth did you you know did you relate to other people did you understand human behavior what was it like for you i really want to know that that's a good question and um no i mean you talk to jim and, and he'll tell you i'm i'm i am i am different i don't i never knew how i was different 
I felt different as a child. I felt different. I have felt different my whole life and I am different, but I thought I was doing a pretty good job of fitting in. But Jim tells me, don't even try to be human, Sherry. You're not, you know, I just, I thought that everybody thought that they, I thought that everybody felt that way, that they felt like an outsider and they didn't. And I thought, I would watch my friends, even when I was little, but for sure when as a teenager, I remember being 15 and 16 years old and sitting around, I remember, I'm thinking of one specific time, but there are many, many of them were sitting around with my girlfriends and being, I'm not like them. Why can't I be like them? I'm not like them. I don't think the way they do. I don't, I don't, and I, you know, it's, to put it in words can, can make, some people may judge me as being arrogant, but I guess I would put it in these words, is that um, I just saw things differently. I always saw the good in everyone. And I never, I never had a tendency to judge. I, I don't have an enemy. No one can do anything to me that would make me, I mean, even the people who have poisoned me, you know, I see it as a big game. I don't see it in the same context. I don't, I don't, operate on that same level so it definitely makes me different um i couldn't be like a giggly girl and um be like that i just i always had a seriousness about me because i always felt that i had a weight that i was dragging around like i i had a feeling that there was something i remember being 17 years old and the guys took me up on the ship and they introduced me to people who, I don't know how they did that, but they introduced me to um, different heroes, people who, Albert, I remember meeting what I call the two Alberts, Albert Schweitzer and Albert Einstein. And they introduced me to different people and, they, and one of them was, um, who is that girl over in Germany that hid in the attic? Um, that the um, the little Jewish girl who she hid she hid away in the attic from and um, they introduced me to her and I remember them telling me Anne Frank uh, Anne Frank Anne Frank yeah and that that her and there were different people that they introduced me to and they said you need to understand these people's lives so that by comparison you can see that yours isn't going to be that so bad because they have the strength and the, they persevered and they got through their lives against all these oppressive things. And I remember that, you know, I remember that. I was like, I thought it was like a dream, but I remembered the lesson of it, which was, you have to be strong, Sherry. You're going to have to be strong. You're going to have, because you're going to have to deal with stuff. Some, you know, it's going to, it's going to be coming at you. And I'm not comparing myself to Anne Frank, but I, which they they said, you know, but you learn from her. You you understand that the humans are are capable of more than what you think, and you don't cave in and you stay true to your convictions. Can I ask when, when you talk. see these people on board the ship, are they are they like human, are like uh, flesh and blood? Are they very real? Yeah, they were. That's the thing. I don't under I don't know how they did that, but they they introduced me to them. Um, Tesla was one of them. You know, they introduced me to these different people and they were, I don't know if they were holograms, I don't know what they were, but they were those people and they just, and those, their stories. And so I knew about all of them and their stories and um, it was just interesting that they did that. So, so yeah, no, I've never, I've never have felt like I fit in and 
I didn't know that I was different, but as I, people would say things to me, you know, I would be in a relationship with somebody and, and they would tell me, you know, that I was different. And you, you don't want to think that you're different, but it wasn't in a bad way, but it was just, it was an uncomfortable feeling because I would, I would try to mimic. And my sister used to tell me to, she would say, you know, don't be, don't be so trusting, Sherry. You know, you trust everybody and you believe everybody. I'm very naive and I can't get over being naive. I, tr I do, I trust everybody. And my sister used to tell me not to do that. My dad used to tell me I had the thickest pink rose color. He could say, you had the thickest rose colored glasses of anybody, Sherry, I have ever met. Why are you like that? You have to be more discerning. And I'd be, but why should I not trust somebody? You know, I see the innocence in everyone. That's what I do. I see the innocence in everyone. There's no one that, there's no one that I can think of that I, that you can't love. I mean, everybody, I just, I don't know. It's just who I am. It's, it's how I'm wired. It's how I'm made. So. Mary, I'd like to, I'd like to ask another question kind of related to that um, too. Can yeah. I hear you? What I hear you saying is, um, you know, an expression of your true being, of your true self, of who you truly are. This is the way that you truly are. This is the way that you've always felt yeah. even with the other layers of, um, of, you know, human experience and conditioning that have, have covered over that to a certain degree until you were woken up. Um, so yeah. I want to use the phrase origin story again, but this time not in relation to your human life, but this time in relation to your, your, um, your previous life when you made the decision to come to volunteer to be here. And um, one of the things you said very early on in this conversation is that um, you remember being there and you remember having a discussion with other beings that were there and thinking about the state of earth and how much trouble she was in and the fact that she needed help. And you use the expression, um, I'm just gonna go back to my notes for a very quick second. I've taken pages of notes. Um, you use the expression, um, the dark ones, or, or that there were, that the earth was under the influence of a darkness. And what I wanna ask you is, because you, you've been saying also, or you just said that the, the key message, the overarching message from these beings who are trying to help us and help Earth, help our planet, is that we need to realize our power. We need to realize how powerful we really are. We need to stop being so controlled, being so fearful, being victims and really own our power. And that's how we can um, reach a new level of consciousness and, and you know, really help ourselves and our planet. So in relation to what you said about this darkness that had sort of taken over the earth and had gotten uh, humans under a state of, of fear and control, was this darkness of human origin or did it come with an influence from somewhere else? And if it came from human origin, um, what is the nature of that? And if it came from somewhere else, what is the nature of that? Well, here's my thoughts, and it is it's just my thoughts or my knowing, I guess, my knowing, is that planet Earth was originally created to be a planet of, uh, of creators, of high-frequency beings, and that she opened her arms to some um, souls, some beings from another planet that were not evolving as fast as they should have and that that they were going to miss going up the ladder of what we call the ladder of life they were going to miss going up the evolutionary ladder and they were being held they were being left behind and so 
and they were from a, within our solar system, but a different planet. And so planet Earth was such a planet of light and bright light that she welcomed these way, what we would call wayward souls to come to the planet with the belief and who wouldn't believe that the light that was so bright on the planet Earth and the souls that were here would influence those who were more of a negative nature, that it would cause them to wake up and to move into the light. That was the belief that most people would have or most would be the understanding and they would pull them up. But instead what happened, the, those lower frequency beings came onto the planet and they actually, their, the fear that they had, the, the lower frequency actually started to contaminate some of the souls on this planet. And they started to, their frequency started to fall. And the fear, fear is like that. Fear just kind of, it just gets hold of you. And instead of, you know, once upon a time, the human beings on this planet lived for hundreds of years. And they would decide when they wanted to, were ready to move on. <coughs> but after they start to fall into fear, it was a major setback. I mean, that, that, that's like when humans de-evolved then and actually went backwards and, and kind of their bodies then um, reflected. They were once light, more light bodies and they, they became heavier and denser and actually went all the way back to, to like Neanderthal type humans, you know, very dense and very, and they, their light on planet Earth almost went out. So the fear came in that way and the, the frequency of the planet fell in that way. And when it fell, it attracted the attention of other beings who travelers go, you know, travel throughout the universe. And the planet's a beautiful planet and they saw this planet and they came on and they claimed it as their own and then began the manipulation of the humans down through the ages. So what I'm talking about took place like eons ago. And, you know, and it came around to then the dark ones came on and they staked the claim and said, this is their planet. And they looked at the earth humans as slaves and they manipulated and kept them from going back to what they were originally intended to be. And so, so it's on a regular cycle, the planet as the whole solar system and then the universe and everything, it's all, you know, a microcosm, everything. You got the humans and you got the planet, you got the solar system, you got the universe, all goes through a cycle of upgrades as we evolve, as you, you know, it's, it's, we're eternal beings. And so we have these experiences, we come onto these different planets and to have different experiences and planet earth then became a planet of duality. And so the souls would opt to come onto this planet to have that experience of duality, the contrast, which is an interesting experience to have, but then you get caught in it. And that was my reason for coming. Well, my reason for coming was from Mother Earth. First and foremost, I'll make that clear. Love Mother Earth, love her. The souls on planet Earth, I, I had a little problem with um, them. You know, the it was frustration more than anything. Why don't they wake up? Why don't they see how powerful they are? Why don't, from the outside looking in, and I even visited the planet many times in my ET farm came out of the planet and visit just to be among the humans because I, I was so, we're all very intrigued with planet earth. And you come out and you, cause you're like, why, why, you know, you watch them and you're like, why, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand? Till you get here and you take on the form yourself and you live on the planet and you see the control system and how, how elaborately well it is set up to get you from the moment you are 
born onto the planet. You know, the school system and the indoctrination and the religions and I mean, everything. That, so the, it's the ego versus the heart, you know, the, the true self. So that duality and, and so the, the souls, and I can tell you when I, I can look at people and it can just break your heart because you can see, I can read energy and I can see when I look at certain people and there's a lot of them, you look at them and they've been here so many times and they are so beat down and so hopeless. They're here, they're just marking time. They just want to put in their time so they can die and get their reward in heaven, but then they get recycled back in again because you don't, heaven is not what they thought it was. I mean, it's a recycling. That's what's been going on on the planet. So when they asked for help, I wanted to come first from Mother Earth to assist her because it's time for her to evolve. She's held back her evolution so many times. She had the opportunity to go into the higher frequencies and she wouldn't do it without her children. Now this time she said, I'm going with her without them because it's, you know, she, just, she has to, you can't continually stay in the low frequency. So she has to move on. So I came for her to support her so that she didn't get destroyed and didn't, nothing happened to hold her back. But then once you get here and you see the human souls and you understand why they're like that, why they play little, why they don't wake up, why they don't grasp how powerful they are, you see, because, you know, I, I'm, I, had a, I developed an ego. I, I was, you know, I got caught up in the trap of it too. I know what it's like, but I see those people and it, my heart just breaks for them. The compassion I feel for them is just sometimes overwhelming. And I just, you know, and I just want to go up to them and tell them it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay. You know, you've suffered long enough, you know. So part of my journey in 20, November of 2011, I was asked, I was picked up by a ship down here and I was asked to, would I add on to my mission? Would I agree to transmute some of the energy on planet earth that is victim energy by taking on the role of being a victim? I didn't want to do it, but I did. Um, Judy, that's her name, Judy Carroll from Australia. She's wonderful. She's, um, I know her and she was on the ship that day with me. She didn't volunteer to take that on. She said, oh, Sherry, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> she said, Can, I couldn't believe that you said you'd do that. I took it on because they needed some of us to do that. And they showed me because the planet was not, that was November of 2011. And we had to hold back the evolution of planet Earth for about a decade, give or take, because the humans weren't awake enough. The frequency wasn't high enough. And they showed me the planet and it was, it was surrounded by great like a gray fog gray energy and they said as many of you as will volunteer to take on this role of victim and then by playing the role of victim but forgiving it rather than taking on the role of victim you forgive it 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 they showed it like a like a finger popping down through that gray cloud and it lets the light through for each one of you that do that and you forgive and you don't accept being a victim and you and you you transcend that you're breaking out you're transcending you're transmuting a huge chunk of that dark energy that's around the planet so the more that you suffer but you don't blame anyone and you don't become the victim and you forgive it and you just continue to love and radiate love the more you transmute that frequency 
So that's what we're doing. There's, there's bunches of us that doing, they're doing that. And so that's why I know that it's coming to an end, you know, that it's not going to go forever. So that's, beautiful. that's how it goes. It's a beautiful message to end on. I'm, I'm honored that you did the, the interview with me. I'm honored that you came to the world to do what you did. I know you, I've known you for a while. I know the, the pain you've gone through the suffering and, I really appreciate what you've done and um, I will do whatever I can to help you if you need something or we will support you. And um, in the end, we're eternal. So wherever we learn our lessons, we will, we will get to the end and we'll, it, we all get back to source. So I really appreciate your being on with us and, and talking about this. That's, that's right. I mean, that's the thing, Grant, you know, I mean, it's, it's all going to have a happy ending. It's all fine. It's just, it's just a story and it's just a game we're playing and you just can't take it personal. You can't, can't buy into it too much. You gotta stay above it. So yeah. I appreciate you having me on. I've always uh, been very admired. This has been one of the most amazing interviews before. You have, as, as you pointed out, you have this long series coming. You have an incredibly interesting story, important story, spiritual story. And I'm honored that you shared it with us tonight. Thank you. It was great, great yeah. being with you. Great to be